I am so happy to be back. Um, yeah. I'm tired, but it's a good tired. And I'm, ex I'm just excited to be here. I'm so proud of these guys that were up here. Can, we, can I hear you one more time? Not for me, but for all of these people, because not everyone knows this. If you're new to Church 214 or if you're new to our podcast, we're closing in on a fourth birthday, I think. Third. Oof. I'm going to have to rewrite my sermon then. Yeah. Um, I think that something about flying around the world was messed me up. But so three years ago, I was one of like four or five people involved with worship at the church. And at the time when we started, this, everything that happened up here and me just sitting in the seats was something that I believed could happen, but I literally could not see how we would get from just me and maybe a couple other people to this, to the point where I could preach and not even have to worry for three weeks, be gone for three or four weeks, excuse me, for three or four weeks and not even worry that the music is actually going to happen. Um, and yeah, it, it's funny, but it's just, I wish I would have had a song like Not Today back then, because that's what I would have, that's what I would have needed to believe that, that it could actually happen. And in spite of my doubts, in spite of my fears and insecurities, uh, God made all of this happen. He brought all of you here, and he brought me home safely from India after two and a half weeks. And I'm just, I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of these people, and I'm so thankful for what God has done. Um, I'm thankful that I don't know everything. Because if I did, most of these people up here playing music wouldn't be here. Many of you in the seats may not be here if I was the smartest person in the room. So I'm thankful for that. If you, so again, if you haven't, if you didn't know, um, maybe you're in the room, you're not, you didn't know this, but I spent the first two and a half weeks in India as part of training for a new job I started. Yes, it's an amazing job. I'm so excited. But two, week, two and a half weeks in India is, is tough. Of being away from my church family, being away from my wife and son, and all of my friends, um, and it was it was a challenging trip, and it was rewarding, and it was beautiful. It's a beautiful country. At least the part that I was in was beautiful. Lots of mountains, and it was heartbreaking at the same time. I saw poverty so undescribable that. I could put a thousand pictures of what I saw up here, and it, it would not do it justice. You just have to go see it. And at the same time, I was treated like royalty every second of my stay, guys. I'm not joking. And this incredible, this huge contrast was ever present before my eyes. Every morning, I would drive to the office, and I would see unimaginable poverty. As I'm sitting in this car, with my own personal driver, and he's, they sit on the other side, the steering wheel's on the other side, if you didn't know that. So I'm opposite him, and the seat is pushed all the way up, so I have maximum leg room. And we get to the facility, and there's multiple security gates that you have to go through, and because I look different than most people there, the security guards assume that I'm super important, they open up the gates and they salute me as I go by. 
And this happened every day. You know, and, 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 it, and I got to be honest with you guys, because I'm not holy enough yet to, I'm just not there. It felt really good. <laughs> but <laughs> it did. It really did. But at the same time, and, and I'm so thankful for Nilesh, my driver, because I would have died within seconds of getting behind the wheel of a car with how crazy the traffic is. But it just, man, it was so jarring, you know, because I'm, my, in, my, in my mind, I'm like, like, who am I to deserve this, you know? Like, I, I'm just not that special, Okay. I don't, I don't deserve all of this. And I was treated like royalty in the presence of my... I was treated better than my superiors in the company most of the time I was there. And it felt good for a little bit, but then as I thought about it, it made me feel more ordinary than ever. And it's probably a good thing. It really is. And... Because <laughs> I can't let that experience get to my head. But... <laughs> I, 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 tr- I don't know this for sure because I don't know what the others in the Bible felt like, but I feel like I was in the ballpark in terms of just kind of feeling ordinary, kind of feeling like you're just a bullet point in a book that's filled with people like David and Joshua and Moses. And I, lastly, I'll say that this is the first Chris, my brother, my, one of my best friends. I, I think I have a small taste of what it feels like to be you writing your sermons mostly on planes and airports and other time zones. This is my first crack at it, so there's a small part of me that has no idea what's going to (laughs) happen today. I'm not jet-lagged anymore. I'm past that. Um, I'm still not 100%, but uh, there's a small part of me that doesn't know what's going to happen today, and I don't want that to sound like a cop-out to any of you, okay? Because all that means, all this means is that it's a perfect opportunity for God to show up and do what he always does. Okay, so if you're all ready, don't bear with me. Get excited to discover the story of a few more of the others, namely Jairus and the woman. So we're going to be, thank you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 for the vast majority of our time today. So go ahead and turn there and I'll set up the story. There's three accounts of this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you spend some extra time and read maybe two or three chapters before and after in any of these accounts, you'll know that Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and he's firing on all cylinders. He's killing it. And at this time, he's traveling around the Sea of Galilee, the region around the Sea of Galilee, from town to town. He's preaching everywhere he goes. He's performing miracles everywhere he goes. And even at that time, news traveled really fast because no one like Jesus had ever showed up before. And so crowds would form, and they would follow him everywhere he went. And that's cool, but it would actually make it very difficult for him to move about the region. And so he would often fight his way, if you will, to the coast, get in a boat, and hop across the lake to the other side to a different town so he could keep ministering to them. And then a crowd would form there, and he'd kind of get stuck. So then he'd get back to the shore of the lake and head back across the lake. And he would kind of just go back and forth across the lake so he could keep ministering to everyone. Otherwise, he'd get stuck in one place because of the crowds. And it was on one of these trips back and forth across the lake that he encounters Jairus. 
So let's start in Mark chapter 5, verse 30, uh, 21. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again to the, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Now let's stop there for a second, because we really need to talk about this crowd. They were waiting for him. I mean, he, the, he was so popular at this point, he's like, oh man, here we go again. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He was excited. It was an opportunity to, to minister to people. Some of these people in the crowd genuinely wanted to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And they came as part of the crowd with humble and pure spirits. But the vast majority of that crowd, that wasn't their attitude. Some people thought Jesus was a great speaker and they just wanted to hear him preach. Some people thought he was a magician and just wanted to see another miracle. And I believe, personally, that the vast majority of the people in that crowd actually just saw him as the leader of a rebellion against the Roman Empire that had oppressed them for almost a hundred years. So, in, in other words, many people wanted him, but very few actually needed him. That's what this crowd was about. Let's keep going. Verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, that is Jesus, went with him, and a great crowd followed him. There's, a t- there's so much going on in this passage, okay? Jairus is described as a ruler of the synagogue. Now, this means that he was in charge of the operations of the synagogue. He was in charge of how the services were conducted. As a result, he was a relatively wealthy, powerful member of society because the church in Jewish Jewish society, they ran the show. We can't say for sure if he was a Pharisee, but there was a pretty good chance he was. And if he wasn't, he associated with them on a daily basis. And if you know anything about, uh, I won't go into it, but if you know anything about Jesus and his relationship with the Pharisees, by and large, it was not good. The Pharisees were very much threatened by what Jesus stood for. And so Jairus, by association, had was in a position to feel threatened by Jesus. I'm not saying he did before this encounter. I'm just saying he was, the crowd he ran with wasn't exactly pro-Jesus, okay? Yet when faced with the imminent death of his 12-year-old daughter, none of that matters, right? And, and, and you all would do the same. He sought Jesus and he knelt before him, it says in the passage. He knelt before him in humility. He threw status out the window. He threw tradition out the window. And this is, this is very important because Jairus probably had people kneel before him or at least defer to him on a daily basis. And, him, and his kneeling before Jesus in humility proves how sincere he was because this position was foreign to him. Just like being treated like royalty was foreign to me. This was a foreign position for him. Furthermore, he risked his reputation 
because if the Pharisees found out what had happened, and there was a good chance they would based on how big the crowd was, he could be removed from his position. Status gone, high-paying job gone, maybe even excommunicated, treated like an outcast in Jewish society. This was a big deal. And all this stuff, I'm telling you, it went through his head. He was not a dummy. This was not an accident. All of these things went through his head. And yet, he went forward anyway. This was a premeditated decision. He didn't just bump into Jesus on the way to some other engagement. He sought Jesus out as soon as he heard that he had landed. And this makes a lot of sense because if his daughter is at the point of death, there really isn't, you have to have a really good reason to just leave the bedside of your daughter, even if there's no hope, right? Okay, so this wasn't like, hey, honey, um, like, I'm, I need to get some fresh air. I'm just going to head out real quick. Or we're a little bit short on fruit. I'm going to head to the market and get some fruit. That was not what happened. It's not in the text, but I'm very sure that's not what happened, Okay. He made it very clear to his wife and the rest of the people in the house exactly where he was going, why he was going there, and what he was trying to do. And it probably went something like this. Okay, guys, I'm going to find Jesus. I heard that he's in town, and I'm going to find him. What? Are you crazy? She's dying. We don't have much time left. Look, I know, I know, but I've heard the stories about how the, the blind can see. I've heard the stories about how the lame can walk. I've heard that he casts out demons, and I even heard that he raised a boy from the dead one time. And so if he can do all of those things, then he can definitely heal my daughter, so I'm going. So what's the point? I believe that faith can carry you like nothing else. Faith can take you places that religion cannot. Faith can take you places that just going through the motions cannot. Faith can take you places that the appearance of faith cannot, okay? Because coming to church every weekend is really great, you guys. Please do it. Not, not for my benefit, for yours, okay? Serving is wonderful. Giving is fantastic. Okay, all of these things are good and necessary, I would say, but... Have you truly put your faith in he who is faithful? Do you really trust him? And I'm not necessarily talking about salvation, okay? I'm preaching to myself first and foremost as a Christ follower here. Okay, how often do I, how often do we choose to put our faith in something else on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? You're going through a tough season right now. You might want to ask yourself, when's the last time you asked God about it? I'm not trying to accuse anyone. I learned that lesson really well the last year, okay? And I'm still trying to get better at it. So ask yourself, have you, do you really trust him? And, how, and if you do, how often do you trust him? At the end of the day, Jairus' actions make a lot of sense, right? Because his daughter was dying, and so the... the the next question in my mind was, well, what's so admirable about Jairus? 
his daughter was dying. And I would say that faith is rare whether you're, chi- you're about to lose a child or not. Faith is rare no matter what the circumstances are. And I'm not trying to minimize his great need because his great need was definitely a catalyst. But faith drove him through the crowd to Jesus. Faith could have driven him to another doctor. Faith could have driven him anywhere. Faith drives you wherever you put it. Faith drove him to Jesus. He had a great need, yes, but faith drove him to Jesus. And so faith is rare no matter what the circumstances are. And I'll tell you why I believe this, but you have to wait until the end because it's time for a scheduled interruption. Mark 5.25, it says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Okay, so the easiest way to explain this is that her period was constant for 12 years. Now, I have no idea what that's like for very obvious reasons, but so I would imagine that's bad enough no matter what time period you're in, no matter what culture you're in, okay? If you're a woman and that's your issue, like, that's really bad. But in Jewish culture, this was really, really, really bad, okay? She was ceremonially unclean because of her condition. So this meant that by law, she could not go to the temple. This also meant that if she ever went out in public, She had to warn people that came relatively close to her that she was unclean lest they risk becoming unclean themselves by accidentally touching her. By law, she could be thrown in jail for not doing it. So in layman's terms, for 12 years, she was forbidden from going to church. It's a little bit different than our situation here, wouldn't you say? By law, she, for 12 years, she had to actively isolate herself in society while still being sort of a part of it, okay? What, how do you do that? How do you make it through? Okay, this was, a, this was a terrible position to be in. Oh, by the way, she had no money left because she spent it all on doctor after doctor after doctor. Now, we don't know how old she was when this problem started. We don't even know her name. But 12 years is a long time, okay? And an issue like this would have either prevented her from starting a family, or it would have, if she already had a family, it would have prevented her from having significant interaction with them. That means that whatever the situation was, this was a long, lonely fight. And after 12 years, you would think that bitterness and cynicism would have set in. But thankfully, faith can heal like nothing else. Thankfully, faith can heal like nothing else. And many of you should be able to relate to this on some level, okay? Maybe some of you feel like you've tried every doctor, every treatment, every therapy, every test, Diet change after diet change, parenting book, parenting class after parenting class, 
counseling session after counseling session, YouTube video after YouTube video, Google search after Google search, and nothing has worked. And it doesn't have to be 12 years to be difficult, right? Like, difficult is just difficult when Jesus isn't in the picture. Difficult is just difficult when Jesus is in the picture, but when Jesus is in the picture, difficult can become a pathway to victory. Difficult can become an impetus for healing, but you have to lean into it. You have to crawl sometimes. Is anyone thankful this morning that faith can heal like nothing else? Yes. Okay, let's keep going. This is really good, you guys. I'm preaching to somebody I know. Again, notice, let's keep going, verse 27. Let's notice the premeditation here. Sometimes you got to be careful you read the Bible too fast. Those first five words are so important. She had heard about Jesus. Don't, you can't skip over that when you read that passage. You can't skip over that. That's important. She had heard about Jesus, and this was about, and it was going to influence her actions. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And then it goes forward to say, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? <laughs> oh, man. This, I love this part. A great crowd is pressing around Jesus, right? They're on the way to Jairus' house. Many people had the opportunity to touch him. They probably already did. Yet just the one woman was healed. Jesus had a lot of fans, but very few followers. Many people wanted him, but very few needed him. Okay, the reason why I paused at the very beginning of verse 27 is so important. This woman had heard the stories about Jesus and had decided that that meant that he was the Son of God because everyone in that crowd had heard the stories about Jesus. That's why they were there. But the one woman was healed. She heard the stories about Jesus, and she decided that he was the Son of God. Now, she tried to be discreet due to her status as being unclean, but Jesus, she touches his robe, and Jesus senses that the power has gone out of him, and he's trying to figure out who touched him. And for the record, Jesus knew exactly what had happened, okay? He's, all, he's God. He's all-knowing. But he was using this amazing opportunity to teach the disciples, Jairus, the woman, and everyone else in the crowd. This was a huge teaching opportunity that he was not going to let pass him by. And I just love, we're going to skip down a few verses. I just love what he accomplishes in so few words. She comes forward to confess. And in verse 34, Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Again, don't read that past, That sentence is really short. Don't read it too fast. After 12 years as an outcast, Jesus called her daughter. What's a daughter? A daughter is a member of a family. She hadn't felt like a part of a family for a long time. So on a spiritual level and even on a physical level, you can just, I can just feel the relief 
then he goes on to say, go in peace, not go in health. That's kind of weird, right? Because he just healed her. Her health was perfect now. He had stopped the bleeding. But her life was far from perfect because she still had no money. To say her suffering is over, that's a bit of a stretch, wouldn't you say? Because she's going to have to fight and claw just to continue existing. So why did he say it? He said, go in peace, your suffering is over. He said that because her faith had made her well. He says that because he had also forgiven her sins and had given her the ultimate peace. And again, you might say, so what? She had a serious health issue for 12 years and had tried every doctor, but the issue had only gotten worse. Again, I would say to you that faith in Jesus is rare whether you have a serious medical issue or not. Jesus wasn't her first try. She had gone to all these different doctors for 12 years. Now, maybe you could argue that she didn't have the opportunity to meet Jesus before then. But she had tried just about everything first. And again, I don't want to minimize this. Her great need was a catalyst, yes. But faith drove her through the crowd. Thank you for your patience during the scheduled interruption. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, this is so cool. Jairus gets to witness this incredible miracle on the way to his own miracle, but this miraculous delay was costly. Okay, let's go to verse 35, Mark 5, 35. It says, while he was still speaking, that means Jesus was still speaking to the woman. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Man, thankfully faith can reveal like nothing else. Verse 35 is so important for this story, and it's so important for our lives, so we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Again, can't read the Bible too fast. Let's tackle this word trouble first. Verse 35 says, why trouble the teacher any further? How often do we refrain from bringing our request to God? Because we think they're trivial or maybe Satan has us believing the lie that we haven't been good enough to deserve his time or his attention. Or maybe we're not important enough. Maybe only the, the people that are really close to God, like the church leaders and the pastors and stuff, maybe they, they get priority. I don't care what the reason is. How often do you refrain? How often do we refrain from bringing our request to God? Or on the flip side of the coin, maybe we just forget about him until we really, really feel like we need him. Anytime we fall on that spectrum, it's a huge miss on our part. 
There was a huge crowd waiting for Jesus when he landed, but Jairus was the only one that stepped forward in boldness and actually asked, bothered to ask Jesus for help. And I bet you every single person in that crowd, if they spent more than five seconds getting over their fandom, they would have remembered, oh yeah, I have some pretty serious concerns in my own life. I have some pretty serious issues in my life. I bet Jesus could fix those things. Maybe I should ask him for help. But Jairus, according to the text, Jairus was the only one that stepped forward and Jesus went with him and the crowd followed. So I have to believe that he was one of a very small number of people that believed that Jesus would actually help him and decided to do something about it. I would challenge us to pursue a relationship with God, with Jesus in detail because it won't happen by accident. Your closeness to God is 100% up to you. How often you choose to envelop him in your daily life is 100% up to you. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like, jam anyone here with as much love and compassion as I have, which is maybe not a whole lot at this point in my life. I still have a long way to go. But with as much love and compassion as I can muster up, can I please just, just let me say this to you? Some of you would be so surprised how much Jesus loves you. And I say that to you based on how you act. Some of you would be so surprised how much Jesus listens to you. Even though we preach about it every single Sunday, even though we talk about his faith and his goodness and his kindness and his grace and his mercy, and we sing these songs that back that up too, like some of you would be so surprised how much he loves you and how much he listens to you. And I don't know what else to say at this point. I'm only 29. Maybe if you give me a few more weeks to study for the sermon, I'll have a better answer. But I would just, so far, all I could come up with was, why not be surprised? Like, it certainly wouldn't hurt to try. I've been there before. As a Christ follower, most of my life, I've reached points where I've thought, well, I guess I should just, Try Jesus now. And I'm telling you, it makes a big difference. Secondly, let's look at the word teacher. Why trouble the teacher any further? I'll tell you why. Jairus had decided that Jesus was a lot more than a teacher. Jairus saw Jesus as a healer. The woman saw Jesus as more than a teacher. The woman saw him as a healer. Is anyone thankful this morning that Jesus is more than a teacher? Hey, the messengers came up in the crowd, through the crowd to tell Jairus, they saw Jesus as a teacher. Why trouble the teacher any further? Many people witnessed the exact same events. Yet, they reached very different conclusions. Okay? Some people saw a teacher. Some people saw the leader of a rebellion. Some people saw uh, a great man. Other people saw a healer. Other people saw the Son of God. Guys, faith is rare no matter the circumstances. And this story alone backs it up. Everybody saw the same thing. And two people received healing. 
Jesus also says in Matthew 7, 14, very quickly, the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus reaches the house of Jairus, but there's a group of people there mourning because the girl had died. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, sorry, hard turn here to, to Luke chapter 8, 52 and 53. He says, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew. All caps, guys. This is so important. Sorry for if there's feedback, Austin. I apologize. They all knew she had died. Are you guys over there seeing it? Okay. They all knew she had died. This was their reality. This was all they could see. They did not see that the Son of God had showed up right on time. They knew she was dead. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Man, I am thankful I don't know everything. If those people were the smartest ones in the room, the girl would still be dead. Verse 54, then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. There you have it. And that's it. That's the story of Jairus and the woman. A church leader and a woman that we don't even know her name. But two people that had great faith. And some of you might be saying, look, Phil, they, they heard all these stories about Jesus, and they even got, they even got, like, Jesus did miracles directly in their own lives. Like, don't you think that makes a difference? And I would say, yes. It makes a huge difference. But I would also say, that do you not know? Have you not heard? We share about Jesus and the stories of Jesus every single Sunday from this stage and on the podcast if you're listening. We even share personal testimonies, personal stories, whether it's from our own lives as preachers or from people that we know. If you're new to our church or new to our podcast, you may not have heard some of these stories yet, so I'll give you a very... Just, I'll give you a break here. But over the last three years, we have seen several physical healings take place in our church. Documented. There's no other medical explanation for them. We've seen marriages restored from the brink of divorce. We've seen people just going through the motions in year one to stepping forward in faith and boldness in year two. And we've seen followers in year two become leaders in year three. And therefore, I believe that in year four and five and six, that God, God has plans for you and for me and for us that most of you just simply would not believe. My challenge to you is this. Pursue a relationship with Jesus in detail because God is into the details on a level that we will never understand, so we just need to accept that. We just do. And I'll, and I'll give you a really, like, innocuous example. 
As I was studying this story and writing my sermon, I saw the number 12 pop up several times. So I just, I don't know, I just had this thought, like this, I don't know, catch in my spirit or something. And so I went to my Google Drive folder and I started counting how many documents I had because I have a Google document for each sermon I write. And I counted like four times and I was laughing the whole time because I kept coming up with 12. <laughs> 12 year medical issue, 12 year old daughter, and in a few minutes I will finish my 12th sermon. And look, I, I know that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. That cute story doesn't fix any of your problems. But I tell you because, man, sometimes God just does funny little things like that to remind us that he cares about every detail of our lives and he wants us to care too. So, again, I, I, I'm not smart enough to have a better answer than this, so I just say, just embrace it and lean in. That's all I've got. He wants your heart, not just for salvation. He wants it always, every moment. This is what I mean when I say we need to be leaning into him, just like Jairus did and just like the woman did. And just like it says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Friends, it's time to need him, like really need him. Step forward in faith, bring your request to God in boldness, and step back and watch what he'll do. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for people, for telling us about people like Jairus and the woman. To remind us that we don't have to be a hero. We don't have to be, quote unquote, special by human standards to trust you. You're there for all of us every moment, reaching out your hand to us, waiting for us to just trust you a little bit more, lean into you a little bit more. So God, right now, would you change us from the inside out? Would you make us more in love with you? Would you make us trust you more? Would you open our eyes to see that the Son of God, not just a teacher, not just a great man, not just a leader, the Son of God and have us and inspire us, stir within our hearts the desire to follow after you every day. Help us not to forget you're there. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see because we can get so easily distracted by the noise.
God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.